Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you've got a Bible, could you go please go to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. We'll be diving in there momentarily. Before we do that, I've got a couple of books I'd like to recommend, and I've got some copies to give away free if you like the sound of these. Please um, come to my glamorous assistant, Benjamina, and um, he will... He will give you them. They're both written by the same author, um, an Aussie called uh, Adam Ramsey, and all I know about him is he loves Jesus. But he's written a couple of books that caught my eye, and I read one, and I thought, oh, he read another one. I might as well read that too. The first one is called Faithfully Present, Embracing the Limits of Where and When God Has You. I found this fantastic, really profound in terms of just understanding where God put me in life and all the things that to do with that and being just aware of where you are in the moment and taking kind of note of that and stock of that and so this was an excellent book about hurry about busyness and it speaks directly to our 21st century modern life so faithfully present is excellent please have a take a copy of that um, the second one is called truth on fire and it says gazing at God until your heart sings and I thought well I'm sold by the cover and this guy he writes about the nature of character of God expressed in the face of Christ and it is wonderful heartlifting uh, exalting stuff so if you want to grab a copy wave at Ben and read that so faithfully present present and truth on fire both by Adam Ramsey there's a couple of copies there if you want them all right new sermon series we started last week if you missed that please go online and catch up with that entitled hashtag blessed we're looking at the beatitudes from Matthew 5 1 to 12 Beginning of the year, we spent three weeks in Psalm 23, looking at the shepherd who leads us, who provides for us, who leads us through the valley, who provides for us at the table. This really is an extension of that, an ongoing of that. This is what it means to walk with the shepherd this year. So we're going to be looking at uh, the Beatitudes. We entitled the sermon series Hashtag Blessed, which is a common sight you'll find on social media around where people talk about the things, the good things of life that they have, whether it be cars and holidays and relationships, they, they describe themselves as hashtag blessed. But what we're looking at is what Jesus says about what it means to be hashtag blessed. And this is what, an image that came up, if you put it on the screen, that I saw this week that I just captured and saved. It said, the word blessed shows up 112 times in the New Testament. I haven't counted them all, but I'm willing to go with it. Not once is it connected to material wealth. Sometimes the blessed life looks different than we think which we're going to look at today when we get into what Jesus says. Now, we looked at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 5 last week. And we saw that Matthew positions Jesus as the new Moses who's come to ascend the mountain to proclaim the word of God to his people as a new and better Moses. And he is going to speak and deliver authoritative teaching to um, his people. And he begins with this word blessed, which comes up through the Beatitudes again and again and again. It's from the Latin beatus, which means to be happy or to be blissful. And the Greek word there contains the meaning of happy, fortunate, or flourishing. We saw that there was difficulty in translation of that word because no one English word sums it up. But when we did look, we went back and looked into the Old Testament where they used the same word. And we saw in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it described, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. 
That is what it means to be blessed, is to flourish in God's kingdom under God's rule and God's leading. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be diving and looking at the first uh, beatitude. Um, and what we need to understand as we look at this and begin this today, uh, when you have a list, what comes first you need to take note of, because it's often of importance for what follows. When the disciples are list, Peter always comes first, because he was a de facto leader. And led the early church. And so when we've got this one, you need to grasp this one. Because the first beatitude we're going to look at today is the gateway to all the rest. If you don't get this, the rest won't make sense. And it won't follow. So we're going to look at this today and we're going to see that they build on each other. So if you found that in your Bibles, we're going to read the passage. Which should appear behind me. And we're going to read it out loud together. Shall I move to the side so you can see that? I'll count you in. Three, two, one, and then we will read this all out loud. Three, two, one, go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, big idea for this morning. Big idea for this morning. I am hashtag blessed When I recognize my need for Jesus, I am hashtag blessed when I recognize my need for Jesus. What we're going to look at this morning is the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share this morning's sermon with Ben. Over the next few weeks, I'll be sharing the sermon with others. So you'll see other faces up here, and what's going to happen is Ben is going to talk about what it means to be poor in spirit, and then he'll hand back to me, and I'll look at what does this mean, so how does this relate to us in the kingdom of God. So we're going to take half the beatitude each, and so what does it mean to be poor in spirit, Ben? Is that good? Excellent. I am on. Brilliant. So... When I started looking at the Beatitudes, it seems to turn everything upside down. And it had me asking questions like, how can it be good to be poor? And as I've gone through the Beatitudes, what I've seen is Jesus turns everything right side up. And so when approaching the Beatitudes, we need to look beyond our immediate understanding of words like poor. And like we discussed last week with the word blessed, poor is the best English translation of the word. But in our social context, the word poor has negative rather than positive connotations. And I know there'll be people in the room that are struggling with the cost of living crisis at the moment. 
But I also know that many of us are not poor by society's standards and certainly not by global standards. If we look at a dictionary definition of the word poor, it defines it as lacking sufficient money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. Or worse than is usually, usual, expected or desirable, of a low or inferior standard or quality. And in relation to a person, the person is considered to be deserving of pity or sympathy. But as Stuart's already mentioned, when we start thinking about spiritual poverty, it's not aligned with material poverty. Poor in spirit refers more to a recognition of one's need for God and humility. And when I was preparing this, I didn't really know what the word humility meant, so I looked that up as a word that we needed to understand. And the dictionary defined it as a modest or low view of one's own importance. And in our society, showing humility can also be seen as a negative attribute. But in a biblical context, having humility is recognizing our own limitations and need for God's grace. It's acknowledging that we're not self-sufficient and we depend on God for everything. And as we get into the Beatitudes, one of the things that's really important to do is look at the historical and cultural context into which Jesus was speaking so that we can understand the issues that Jesus was addressing at the time and in this instance, why it was considered countercultural. So if we look at the Jewish audience, they believed that the Mosaic law and participating in temple rituals brought blessings and God's favor. They had a structured system for achieving righteousness and securing their place in God's kingdom. The Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people, expecting that the Messiah to restore the national glory and establish their dominance. And many Jews interpreted material blessings as a sign of God's favor and evidence of righteous living. So in summary, the Jews had everything they needed to be blessed or flourish in God's kingdom. They were God's chosen people. They had the law of Moses. They had the temple. The Jews had a cultural heritage and the listeners at the time would not have considered themselves poor in spirit. And therefore the Beatitudes are countercultural because Jesus highlights a different way to flourish in God's kingdom through qualities like humility, compassion and peacemaking over strict adherence to the rules. This would have seemed like he's undermining the established practices at the time. And as we know from elsewhere in the Bible when we read it, the law and adherence to the law is not what saves people. Only Jesus can save people and make them right with God. So when we start looking at the Beatitudes in 2024, we need to think about the social constructs that exist here in Sutton Coalfield in the UK. And whilst we don't have a spiritual heritage like the Jews, we have developed a society that promotes that we can be self-sufficient and have everything that we need to flourish. Some of you may be familiar with this image on the screen, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It shows what drives human motivation in society, and our society is built around this. In a place like the UK, most of our basic needs, physical and safety, are often met through jobs, healthcare systems like the NHS, and social infrastructure. Many of us will also have our psychological needs met through relationships and our achievements. And I would argue that society that we live in is focused on and geared towards self-actualization and achieving one's full potential. The emphasis on the individual. It's all about relying solely on personal abilities, social structures, and material wealth. 
And that leads to a lifestyle and ways of thinking which make us believe that we don't need God. Indeed, God and flourishing in his kingdom do not even appear on this diagram as something that should motivate us. The diagram represents a godless society, which we are a part of, and therefore the Beatitudes are just as countercultural for us today as they would have been for the Jewish listeners. The reality is that things like jobs, health, relationships are all temporary and can be taken away in an instant. And when life's challenges come, and they do come, they reveal the limitations of relying on personal capabilities and societal safety nets instead of God and can shake our faith if we're not poor in spirit. In kids and youth work today, the take-home message is, I am blessed when I realise my need for Jesus. And that's also our big idea. And when I was preparing for today, I read many translations of the Beatitudes and this particular verse. And the one that was most helpful for me to understand what it meant to be poor in spirit was from the message, which says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And you can see an example of this in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, 10 to 13, where Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes for all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's like the tax collector and the Pharisee are this really expensive bottle of red wine. And the Pharisee saw himself before God based on what he had to offer, like the wine inside this bottle. He brought to God his achievements, his tithing, his social status, not like others, and what he didn't do. And our society tells us we should act the same way. But when you look at this bottle, it's so full of itself that there's very little room for anything else. The tax collector, on the other hand, turns the bottle the right way up. And he recognises that he's got nothing of value to offer to God. He grieves his own sinfulness and he cries out to God for mercy. By doing this, the tax collector demonstrates what it means to be poor in spirit. He shows humility and he recognises his standing before holy and righteous God. There's now loads of room in this bottle. Being poor in spirit means that there is less of us and there's more of God. Where we properly recognise our standing before God is like this empty bottle. And we can now be filled with God's living water. And as we saw last week, God is a generous God and he fills us to overflowing. (laughs) And so if I return to the big idea, I am blessed when I realise my need for Jesus. The need for Jesus is when things are going well and the need for Jesus is when things aren't going well. We are blessed when we are poor in spirit for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Stuart. Sure. 
Okay, thank you, Ben. All right, let's look at the next section. Poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for God. The next thing Jesus says, blessed are those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I just want to break this down. Begins with for theirs. As we noted last week when we began and we did some overview work on the Beatitudes, the construction of the language here is very narrow. And what Jesus is saying is in those bits where it says, blessed are the four, is he's narrowing it down. He's basically them and them alone. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, he's saying only those, only those who are poor in spirit um, are considered in this verse. The poverty of spirit is the state of those who enter the kingdom of heaven. The poverty of spirit is those who enter the kingdom of heaven. That parable that Ben just read, there were two individuals in the parable. One of them was in, one of them was out. We know who was in, we know who was out. Why? Because he recognized his poverty of spirit. And this lines up clearly with what the rest of the New Testament says. Jesus, even later in this same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the broad and the narrow way in chapter 7 and saying there is one way to go and there's one way not to go. And so being hashtag blessed means that you recognize you have nothing that you can bring to God that will get you right with him. There's nothing that you will bring to God that gets you right with him. The next thing it says, for theirs is. This is a present tense verse. So Jesus is talking about his followers, those who are poverty of spirit, who receive something in the moment. It's not something that is looking ahead to a future that you are one day expecting for and there is nothing now. Like the child waiting for Christmas. By the way, our tree has gone down. We now have no Christmas in our house at last. It's February. Don't ah. It's February. The tree has gone to the tree graveyard, yeah? Recycling center. Anyway, it's like the child waiting for Christmas. They've got nothing. But actually, when you enter the kingdom of God, there is a present reality that you live in now. Something happens now. We have access to God now in this moment. Jesus says you bless, you flourish when you recognize your poverty of spirit. But there is an outworking even now as we walk the earth. Yes, I know we wait in anticipation for the fullness to come. But as we wait, Jesus says, I am with you. We are full of his spirit. We can enjoy the riches of God's kingdom right now. And then he comes to the final section, the kingdom of heaven. And what's contrasted here is the difference between poverty and riches. Because Jesus says you're poor in spirit, but actually in the kingdom of heaven, we know as we read our Bible, it is full of God's riches. It is the riches of God's kingdom that are mentioned throughout the rest of the New Testament. And so those who recognize their poverty, those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, those who recognize they cannot save themselves, they and they alone have a present reality of the kingdom of God in their lives. That is what Jesus is saying. That is how you enter the kingdom of God. So let's just talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as it's referred to in Matthew. The first thing we need to know, if you've got a kingdom, what do you need? That was good. Man, that was good. I'm going to test you later. You need a king. Who is the king? Funny, that one wasn't so strong. And that's like the answer to everything in church, because in a roundabout way, if anyone asks you, I think, Jesus, you're usually on the right road. 
The, king, the kingdom needs a king, and it is Jesus. He's the one who rules and reigns. And Matthew has set out in his gospel, in his first few chapters, he's the one of prophecy. He's the chosen one. He's the Messiah who's come. He's declared the, the kingdom of God. He's called his followers. He's now gone up on the mountain. He's proclaiming the truth. He's saying, actually, the kingdom of God is come. And so the king has come, and he's come to bring in his kingdom. And his kingdom represents where his rule and his reign is. It's not a physical kingdom like the United Kingdom. You know when you're in and out of the United Kingdom. Some of you travel, go abroad, other places, you're in it, you're out of it. God's kingdom is where his rule and reign is working out, which means it can be all and every place. It's beyond a physical kingdom. It's where the kingdom of God is breaking in, where his servants are, and they seek to honor him and live out his ways and live out his kingdom. And so it spreads throughout the world. It's built of men and women who recognize their need, recognize Jesus as king, recognize only riches come, true riches come from him, and only only he can save them. And these aren't earthly, temporary riches that we hunger after. These are eternal, spiritual riches. And what do they look like for us as a believer now? What does it mean for us to enjoy the riches of God's kingdom now as a present reality? Well, here's some of the ones that the New Testament outlines for us. If you are poor in spirit and you recognize that and you go to God and say, I cannot save myself, I need Jesus, what do we find out? We find out, one, we have been chosen and called by our father in heaven we are a chosen people we are called by name we have been born again into a living hope we were dead in our transgressions and sins we've now been made alive in Christ we have been forgiven which means the debt we owe of the sins we've committed how we've fallen short of God's standards in thought word and deed by the things we've done and the things we haven't done that we should have done that debt is wiped clean because of Jesus death and resurrection. We've been declared not guilty. We've also been declared righteous. We have received the righteousness of Christ. So when we go to God our Father, we stand before him as Christ does. Not because of our own effort, but because we wear the righteousness of Christ. And so we can approach the throne of God boldly and make requests of him. We have been reconciled We've been reconciled to God where there was enmity between man and God because of our sin and our rebellion. Christ has made a way, so we are now reconciled to God. We are fully reconciled. We have relationship with him, but also we're reconciled to others as well as part of the church. God has broken down all the barriers that would separate us, whether that's your, uh, your sex or your race or your culture or your ethnicity or your language, all broken down in Christ. We are one in him. We've been adopted into God's family. We have him as our father. And we can go to him and cry out to him, Abba, Father. But we also have brothers and sisters. Look around and thank God for the riches he has given you in this room. You really didn't seem thankful for that one. That is part of the riches we have in Christ. We have brothers and sisters all over the world. We have the Holy Spirit that God gives us, thank you Ben, who guides us and leads us and teaches us and comforts and convicts us and is always present with us. (laughs) We have been commissioned, we have been sent by God out into the world to proclaim his good news to others, to heal the sick, to serve the poor, to declare the righteousness of God. Okay, it's getting annoying now, it's getting annoying now. (laughs) I appreciate your enthusiasm. 
We are being conformed, which means transformed to the image and likeness of Christ. The more you follow, the more you enter God's kingdom, the more you put your faith and trust in him, the longer you follow him, you get transformed by the Spirit to look more like Christ. And we bear his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and Yeah, there's a song in there. We've been given gifts, spiritual gifts that we can use to build up the church, to serve him, serve the world around us. We gain all of this through Christ and Christ alone. And when we are poor in spirit and we come to him, we receive that and we recognize his need. And Jesus said elsewhere, he said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The poor in spirit get rest. The poor in spirit receive salvation and all those things because they recognize they cannot save themselves. And when they do and they cry out to God, they receive the kingdom of heaven. That is good news, amen? Amen. amen. Okay, let's look, look at a couple of things of what it means for us to be hashtag blend, hashtag blend, hashtag blessed. Ben is now going to come and do the first song, We Cannot Save Ourselves. <laughs> okay, so the first thing we need to recognize is that we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, then we'd love to speak to you about it either in the time of worship or at the end of the service and just help you understand what it means to ask God for forgiveness. But most of us in the room here are Christians, and we know that we can't save ourselves. But due to the society that we've grown up in, there are parts of our lives that we live independently from God. There are parts of our lives that we are not poor in spirit, and as a result, we're not flourishing in the kingdom of God. When you leave here, you'll still have all the same things that you came in with. You'll still have those basic needs of food and shelter and water, the safety and the security, those psychological needs of relationships and a job and family and friends and access to the NHS. But it is worth asking yourself a series of questions. And as I go through these, I'm just going to give a moment after each one just to pause and reflect. So how do I demonstrate that I am poor in spirit? Are there any areas in my life that I need to repent of because I've been relying on things other than God to save me? For example, in the area of my identity, what am I living for? Is it God's kingdom and his glory, or is it self-actualization and fulfilling my potential? And where does my feeling of worth come from? Is it in my identity as a child of God who has adopted me into his family, who has brought me at a price, where I can do nothing and have done nothing to earn my salvation and recognize that it's a gift from God, which I don't deserve? Or is it in what society values? In the area of relationships for parents in the room, 
Am I training my children to be poor in spirit? Or if I asked my children what they thought was important to me for their lives, would they say good grades, good job, to be happy, to fulfill their potential? Am I only speaking to Jesus when I need something from him? Am I grateful for the things in my life, like my family, friends, job, and health? When was the last time that I thanked God for these things, knowing that they're temporary and could be taken away in an instant, rather than something that I have earned or that I'm in control of? What is hard in my life? Am I giving thanks to God for those things in my life that I'm finding hard because it strips away everything that doesn't matter and makes me fully dependent on him as I cling to him such that I decrease and God increases? Like we said last week, there is nothing wrong with crying out to God in all circumstances, but we should follow the model of Jesus and say, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but your will be done. In the area of money, how am I using my money? Do I have an attitude that I've earned the money that goes into my bank account and I deserve it? Do I spend time thinking that I deserve more? Or do I see everything that I've earned as belonging to God? and I'm a steward of his money? Am I looking at how I give back to God what is already his and seeking ways of how he would have me use the money that I'm stewarding to advance his kingdom? And in the area of sin, when was the last time that I mourned my own sinfulness and grieved my separation from God and ask for God's forgiveness like the tax collector. Last thing. We cannot save ourselves, only Jesus can save us we do not get in without Jesus we do not get in without going through Jesus we do not get in without putting our faith and trust in him and all the things of this world that we might consider hashtag blessed don't count for anything when it comes to getting into his kingdom the wonderful example we find in our Bible is the thief on the cross He was rightly executed by the Roman authorities for horrific things he'd done. He hung there in pain and agony and cursed Jesus to his face. And then, in the last moments of his life, he cried out to him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your... And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't get baptized. 
He didn't join a church. He didn't read his Bible once or give a penny to charity. Yet he made it into the kingdom because he put his faith and trust in Jesus. And a question I'd just like to ask as we finish together this morning to you. If someone asks you today, how did you become a Christian or why do you follow Jesus? How would you answer? And I want to know, I'm curious, would you answer in the first person or the third person? Would you say, I went to church, I went to a youth group, I went to an evangelistic meeting, I responded, I repented of my sins, because I would submit to you today, if you answer like that, you're on a wrong trajectory where the focus is you. If you answer, he saved me, he called me, he chose me, he forgave me, he filled me with his spirit. He adopted me into his family and he sent me out into the world. I think you're on a much better trajectory of recognizing what it means to live poor in spirit and be part of the kingdom of God. It's all about him. We're now going to have an opportunity to respond. Do you want to just come forward people in on that? Sure, if the uh, band wouldn't mind making their way up. As they, as they do, one of the books that I read in preparing for this morning said that when John Newton um, had a realistic view of himself and understood what it meant to be poor in spirit, it led him to write Amazing Grace because he, had, he realized that he had nothing to offer God and that only Jesus can save us. And when I read that, I thought, am I able to sing those words and truly believe what I'm singing? So as our initial response to this sermon... Uh, we're going to play Amazing Grace. It's going to come out of the speakers. The band aren't going to play it. They're just going to get ready. And I just ask you to sit there in silence with your eyes shut and just let the words wash over you. Ask God to help you to become poor in spirit, that you might decrease so that he can increase. Ask him to fill you with his living water and thank him for the grace that he shows you in your life. And repent of those areas in your life that the Holy Spirit has highlighted where you've been self-sufficient and ask him to help you become more dependent on him for everything. So Philip, if we can play that, that'd be great. Thank you.
Yeah. <laughs>